0: Tom Morges.
1: Welcome back everyone to another broadcast of In the Trenches. Today I have on Kai Davis, who's the creator of kaidavis.com and who is a world leader in marketing education for freelancers and consultants. And he also authors a daily email for freelancers and consultants on how to get more clients without spending more on marketing. Great newsletter, check it out. We'll talk about where you can get access to that at the end, well of course you can just go to kaidavis.com, but we'll definitely talk a little bit more about that toward the end. But today, I brought Kai on to talk about this concept of what happens after you graduate freelancing. So you're a freelancer, you're working, you're making some money. What happens when things get too big for you that you can't handle by yourself? Or maybe you want to expand beyond it. What do you do? And so this is fun because we started talking a little bit offline before we started recording. What I want to do is, Kai, for you to just give me maybe your perspective on this and kind of dig into this topic right away and of course, first and foremost, thanks for being on In the Trenches.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you to all the listeners tuning in. I uh, love recording interviews like this and I do it for the listeners. So thank you all for contributing your time and attention to this.
1: Awesome. Thank you. So what, what's your take on this? You know, this, this idea that because there's probably a lot of freelancers, I think, who experience this and I'm probably being presumptuous because I know I went through it. So I just assume that everybody goes through this when they started doing freelance style work and get to a point where it's like too big for them to do by themselves. What happens next?
2: I think it's a huge question. I mean, when we think about sort of growing as a business owner or a freelancer or a consultant, you start off, maybe you're undifferentiated. You don't have positioning. You're selling a service and not selling an outcome or a solution. And over time, your knowledge of business improves. You're charging more. You switch from hourly to value-based pricing, or you've started selling productized services. Uh, You you level up as a business owner. And a question I've been asking, I've seen people on my email list ask me, my colleagues and friends have been asking me is, what happens next? So you let's say you reach the 400 level of freelancing where do you go from there? And I started thinking through it and realized there's really three main paths out of freelancing. And I've picked one of them as I've continued to grow one of my businesses past consulting and freelancing. But really, you hit a point where you have a lot of demand coming in, you have a lot of client requests coming in, you have a lot of prospects coming in. And this is a great position to be in. But If you don't want to grow your business into an agency, hiring on multiple people to essentially be mini-use, this will be option number one, you're left with a challenge because demand is outpacing your ability to supply. And some people choose a secondary path here where, well, hey, I'm solving a common problem. We could sort of standardize the problem. I'm going to make some software that does this for me. So instead of having clients, I'm going to have customers who are paying for my software or my app. And that's option two. And that wasn't quite for me. And I started thinking through more and more, well, what are the other options out there? And I started studying famous consultants like Alan Weiss and seeing, well, how did these people grow their business to the next level? And I realized really educational products is the next evolution for freelancers and consultants, because as people come to you and say, well, I'd love to work with you you now have a path to point them to that doesn't involve your time. It's more of a highly leveraged sense of serving these clients where you could create an educational product that teaches them how to do X, Y, or Z. And it doesn't require your time to fulfill it, but it allows you to meet that market demand and grow your business. So instead of saying, okay, great, I have 40 hours in a week, I could do max 40 hours of billable work. Well, multiply that by my hourly rate and that's my income. You could instead say, well, I'm investing my time in building these assets, building these training programs, or writing these books, or creating these products, whatever shape or form it may take. And as people come to me and say, well, hey, I need direction on how to get on podcasts as a guest, or how to set up referral systems for my business, so past clients are referring new clients for me, or to understand how to write an email that actually gets opened and read and replied to. Well, you could have training products available or books available that teach people these solutions, but don't require your time to fulfill so I think of it as being a highly leveraged solution you're able to get more impact out of an hour of your time than consulting or freelancing can be and it also makes sense because as we become more experienced as freelancers or consultants we gain a deeper knowledge of either the tools or the industry or the discipline we're practicing or the outcomes we're helping clients get to and so we're able to codify that knowledge turning it into a book or a video program or some sort of training material or a coaching engagement and teach people how to do it. A, a great case study of this is actually my book, Podcast Outreach, uh, available at podcastoutreach.com. I run an agency that helps my clients, software entrepreneurs, get on podcasts as a guest. And so... I took the knowledge, the standard operating procedures, the tips and tricks we had developed over doing this over three years and turned it into a book and launched it. So as people came to us and said, hey, we want to work together, but we don't have the budget or "You know, we want to explore this idea or what are your credentials, I was able to send them along to a copy of my book or send them my book or send them the sales page for the book. And they were able to say, okay, great. I could start with this and implement it myself or train my team or train my assistant on it myself and not work directly with you. So it was a way for me to capture some surplus in the market and serve more people, teach more people, help more people achieve this outcome in their business without it requiring that much more time on my side.
1: So it sounds like before I I jump to conclusions, would you say that maybe there's certain direction that would be ideal? Like it almost sounds like education is the way to go. But are you or are you just saying, are you just kind of putting these these three out there? There's no like necessarily better option of those three. Those are just kind of the core three that you can kind of move into.
2: I think those are the core three. I don't know if they're, I I think I could pretty convincingly make a strong argument for and against each of those. With a SaaS, you're dealing with churn, and you're dealing with software, and hey, now you have your web app hacked and need to deal with it. But you also have consistent monthly revenue and low costs in a lot of cases. Uh, When it comes to running an agency, well, hey, you have a huge team, and they're handling it for you. They're handling sales and fulfillment, and You don't have to do the work anymore, but now you have to manage people and human resources and how do you hire people and what if an employee doesn't work out? The negatives of both of those sort of steered me away from them and I turned to information, educational products, because they're easy for me to create. I love writing, I love broadcasting, I love recording video, and I love teaching. And so... I was attracted to them. The downside is, well, oftentimes it's a one-off sale. Hey, you could buy this book for $35 or $49, not recurring revenue. And sometimes information can become dated within a market. If I wrote about, you know, the ultimate guide to Ruby on Rails 2.0, well, that's not going to be as relevant today as it was back in the day. So there's a need to update or retire products. So between the choice of the three, I lean towards information and educational products as being that next step for consultants and the one I often recommend because I think it requires a lesser amount of work to get started with. Hey, I want to create a book about this topic I know a lot about. Excellent. Great. Write 20,000 words about it. Here's a skeleton to write the book from versus, okay, great. I'm going to start an agency. Well, I have to hire people and now I'm paying these people, so I need to go get more clients or I'm going to start a software company. Well, now we need to build the app and now get customers for it. Even with info products, you need to get people who are going to buy the product, but The upfront time investment could often be lower. You could often change bits of it, make the product fit a different market. So it was more interesting to me and fit more of my skill set. But I know a number of successful freelancers and consultants who graduated to running software companies, who graduated to running uh, agencies and removed themselves from working in the business and now work exclusively on the business. For me and my mentality, I most prefer educational products and information products. It's the easiest for me to grok and the most fun for me to create.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a natural progression to that, maybe to some degree, even before SaaS or an agency. I mean, not necessarily, but it seems like there's a natural progression to that because if you're a freelancer and you're say, you're, and when I when I say freelancer, I don't mean like a freelancer who's I mean, scouring Upwork for work, so to speak, and kind of getting to that commoditized space. But if you're somebody who's already standing out as a freelancer, you're already. Branding yourself and positioning yourself in the marketplace as like a go-to freelancer. Then chances are you're educating anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, well, there you go. Like you've probably already been educating if people know about you, at least. And again, that's that's an assumption. But I feel like time and time again, when I come across great freelancers or people who are referencing freelancers to do certain certain work for me or for clients that I work with and stuff like that, contractors usually they have some sort of website. Usually they're doing some sort of education already. So in that regard, they're already kind of taking the first steps into education and into that info product
2: space. Completely agreed. I think when we look at, I often think of like there's a 100, 200, 300 and 400 level freelancing just to parallel it with the uh, uh, course system at American universities where you have the 100 level courses to the 400 level courses and then postgraduate work and graduate work. But a lot of the time as you become a more advanced consultant or freelancer, you start to work on things that are identical or very similar to the playbook of running an educational product business. I'm going to focus on building my audience, I'm going to go on podcasts and teach people, I'm going to write guest articles, I'm going to publish an article once a week on my site talking about a topic or talking about an issue. All of those translate over perfectly well as marketing assets or marketing vehicles to selling education and information. They are education and information. So by using that same playbook, by essentially evolving the delivery half of your business, I'm going from delivering services to delivering products, but just keeping the marketing Side of your business the same, or keeping the same playbook in play. Okay, I'm going to go on four podcasts a month. I'm going to launch my own podcast. I'm going to blog twice a week. I'm going to work on building my email list. You have that engine running to attract new people, and then convert them from saying "Who is this person?" to "Oh man, I love their stuff. I can't wait to buy the next thing they release."
1: You know, there's a maybe a fourth path as well, and I, I definitely want to get back into kind of the agency, the SaaS education. But a fourth thing I just thought of as you were speaking is another thing, if you actually do achieve a certain level of success as a freelancer, again, to the point where you're kind of looking to grow in in some way, shape, or form. So I I think that's an important thing. It's not, this isn't the context for the failing freelancer, you know? Like, not that there's anything wrong with failing at things, I mean, obviously, but like, you know, progressing to that next level, it's not about switching something because you're failing at freelancing, but assuming that you're actually good at what you do, you've been able to deliver for clients, you get results, et cetera, et cetera. The fourth option would be, maybe becoming a full-time employee. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't know. Talk me through that. like, And I guess talk me through that and how you might weigh the pros and cons of these or how you might evaluate these different options.
2: I, I completely agree on becoming a full-time employee. And I actually think it's a it's not a bad path. And it's actually a good path that a number of freelancers and consultants can take. And a couple of ways I think about it is when we think about like the entire narrative of our life, the 70, 80, 90 years we get to be on this planet, If you're a freelancer and then say, well, you know, we're about to have a kid. I need to sock some money away or the freelancing isn't going as well as it used to, or I want to make a career transition and you end up, you know, going full time and taking a day job somewhere in no way is that failure. That's just the next chapter in your story. And who knows that might lead to, oh, hey, uh, as a result of that, I was promoted twice in three years and now I'm VP of this division and I absolutely love it. And I think you're absolutely right evolving to a full-timer at a company isn't necessarily a bad thing. And it very much is a uh, the fourth path. We could contrast it with, okay, so I'm going to temporarily retire my consulting business and focus on growing this software company. Two years later, oh, the software company didn't go anywhere or it didn't go where we expected. I'm consulting again. How really is that different from, I accepted a job, I worked there for two years, it was great. And now I'm back to consulting. In each case, it was, hitting pause on the consulting and the freelancing and focusing on something else of your time and attention and then coming back to it. So I completely agree, sort of retiring from consulting either for the long-term or the short-term and accepting a job somewhere as an employee, it could be a great way to acquire new skills, to sock away money, to level up, to build a, a authority and connections in an industry. I have a colleague who recently accepted an offer at a company in San Francisco and talking with him about it, he said, yeah, my game plan partially is, use the connections I built at this company over the next two to three years to build my personal network. So when I take those next steps, I have a stronger network. And I think that's the most intelligent way to think about it because he's able now to leverage the connections he makes when he makes that next step in his broader business ambitions.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because actually when I first got started doing this work online, I mean, I did it as an experiment, honestly, like truly. And it was, just to start blogging to see if I could get over that fear of writing publicly. And maybe, hey, who knows, maybe some people will buy some eBooks from me or something like that. And of course, it's spiraled out of control to what it is today, which is great. But mm-hmm. I remember thinking in the beginning, like another reason that I did it. So there was that experimental aspect of it. It was kind of fun to just try it out and see what happens, right? Nothing to lose. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a bad position to be in. But the other thing I was saying to myself was, well, if I can build a skill set in this, because I didn't graduate with anything necessarily applicable to real life, and then mm-hmm. I spent my time in the army where again, didn't really get any skills that benefit really anybody for anything beyond the military. So that wasn't helpful either. But the idea was if I can maybe build up a skill set in, mm-hmm. in this niche that is whatever it is, I don't know, online marketing, online publishing, digital products, et cetera, et cetera. Who knows, maybe then I'd be more valuable to the type of company I might wanna work for and doing the type of work I wanna
2: do. Oh, hugely. Uh, I think back to companies I worked for as an employee before I made the jump to consulting. And multiple times we hired people who previously were consultants. And we often viewed the, oh, you worked independently for four years and built your business to this level. And you want to make this transition now as a huge asset. We knew they were a self-starter. We knew they were able to operate without direction. We knew they didn't need to be micromanaged. We knew they understood the problem space or the target market at such a deep level. We were willing to pay a premium to acquire them because, well, the alternative was, I'm going to go continue my consulting and have fun there. And the benefit to us, if we hire them, would be we get this person who has such a deep knowledge of this skill set or this industry. It's really a win-win. So I think exactly to your point, freelancing and consulting can help you build up that skill set that then lets you transition into your dream job.
1: And you actually have some experience running, kind of going, I know we're kind of going over the place, but I'm kind of having fun with this. So if there's Mm -hmm. some way you want to direct this, you let me know. But I'm loving it. I'm curious about the agency piece, because you said that you actually kind of run Um, or you've run agencies
2: before, you've kind of been involved in those. Tell me a little bit about your experience with that. Of course, I own and run two, I call them micro agencies. It's myself, it's a part-time employee in each agency, and then a number of freelancers and consultants that I employ for each one of them. And I enjoy them because they're problem spaces that I have knowledge of, and that I'm able to provide the strategic direction on. But the implementation or parts of the implementation are things that I could hire out to other people. And so rather than going through the same grind, making the same gristle every time, I'm able to say, "Okay, great, here's a procedure for doing it. Let me hand it off to you. And in those cases, I was able to scale the business by bringing on additional people to handle aspects of fulfillment and so with those businesses it's been interesting for me to experiment with the agency model learn more about it and it's played directly into the work I do as a coach for freelancers and consultants because when prospective clients approach me and say well do you have any experience working with agencies or writing an agency I'm able to say well actually yes I manage two currently this is what it looks like I've built it in such a way where it doesn't require my full time and attention and this is what my growth plan for them looks like so it's been an interesting way to uh, uh, sort of adopt some constraints and then build a business within those constraints.
1: That's interesting. Well, who knows, maybe now this splits into five paths. Because I think another thing is that maybe presupposition that you have to move to this giant agency model. Mm -hmm. Maybe a way to
2: graduate the freelancing piece is actually to create what you call a micro agency. And I think it very much could be. I mean, when you get to the point where you understand the problem well enough to teach someone else how to do it, There comes that natural question of, do you want to continue doing it? And in my case, for some things, the answer is a strong no. And in other cases, the answer is a strong, well, I might not like get 10 out of 10 joy out of doing it, but I really don't want to manage somebody doing this and have to check their work on it. So it's a back and forth and working with people who are facing down that same decision and saying like, well, should I, you know, start the software thing? Should I do the product thing? Should I become an agency thing? The primary question I ask is, do you enjoy managing other people? Is that a skill set you either have or you want to acquire? And if the answer is a strong no, I say, don't go down the agency or the microagency route, because at any level, it involves managing people, overseeing their work, saying, hey, this was great or saying, hey, you know what? This did not meet expectations. How could we correct from where it is to where it needs to be? And so it's another set of skills you need to acquire or develop or refine there. And for some people, it is not their bag of tea and that is wonderful that it isn't their bag of tea in those cases i say you should pursue one of the other paths. But I do think if you are able to teach somebody how to do what you do as a, a consultant or a freelancer, scaling to a microagency, if you're willing to manage people, if you enjoy that aspect of it, frees up more time for you to work on the business rather than in the business. And so you're able to focus on business development and strategy and growth and what the procedures and systems are for the business rather than executing and implementing each project for a client. So it definitely is another path out there I think the major consideration is are you comfortable managing people? I've seen a couple of people go down the path of I dislike managing people. I'll hire a project manager and just manage the project manager and they'll manage the rest of the team. The downside to that can sometimes be if you don't enjoy managing, you still won't enjoy managing, even if it's only one person. And what happens if and when that project manager leaves? So there's some contingencies and concerns there.
1: Yeah. Well, as you talk, though, and describe this, I don't know if there's a way to get away from working with other people and managing them because you go the SaaS route. I mean, well, there you go. Unless you're doing all mm-hmm. the engineering and all the marketing and all the design yourself and how far can that really grow? I mean, inevitably that becomes a team and you have to, mm-hmm. there's some element of management. The agency, of course, even in the, the micro agency model as described, there's some level of management, of course, in the bigger agency, much, much more. On the education piece, it I think you can start out solo. Mm-hmm. But how quickly will you just get overwhelmed trying to do literally everything? Like as a freelancer, you're, you're kind of, I guess to some degree, and of course this can this is just a generalization, but you're doing some level marketing and sales, and then you're just doing the work. And mm-hmm. especially if you're like solo, or maybe you have like, you subcontract out some stuff. As soon as you get into the education space, again, maybe you can do that, but it's it's a different business model too. And we talked about that a little bit offline. Getting to that education space, like the digital product space, the online education space, it's a totally different business model than freelancing. And so I think while people like freelancers take the first step and they already have experience in that regard, then you got to think about setting up landing pages, setting up autoresponder sequences, creating, you know, techn- technical, the tech on the back end to automate things and sell things. And into I think, a broader extent than you would typically as just a freelancer doing X, Y, or Z. What are your thoughts on that?
2: No, I completely agree with that. And I think that I discount the informational sort of level up that's needed there or the education that's needed there because from the time I was 18, I just was fascinated with the info product and educational marketing space. And so I spent my time in college geeking out on like, okay, what are the different payment platforms and what's the correct format for an autoresponder? So as I graduated from freelancing and consulting to the next level and started looking at these different options for me, it was like, okay, so I spent the last decade reading for fun about these systems. Now I get to play with them. This is awesome. I'm so excited. Let me set up the landing page. Let me see what my uh, email course will convert at. But there is a lot of difference between selling services to clients and selling products to customers or managing your pipeline as a consultant and managing your funnel as a product creator or an online business owner. I'm just now really getting to the point where I'm breaking out what uh, the value of a subscriber is at each step in my funnel, what the different conversion rates look like, uh, when people buy what product, what the different automation sequences look like. And so it is a very different set of skills than are necessarily applied day-to-day in freelancing. But I think if you're able to take the information and education you have about your discipline as a freelancer, translate that into an educational product, and then say, okay, I'm motivated to learn and understand how to sell things online or build a business, then yes, you have to do some skill acquisition. You have to do some leveling up, so to speak. But if you're willing to do it, the payoff can be great. And just like you might spend 10, 20, 30 hours learning a new technology or learning a new piece of software for your career as a consultant, we're really talking about the same principle. Hey, invest 20, 30, 40 hours into understanding, well, what does an email course look like? Or how do I set up a webinar? Or how do I you know, make my product available for sale online? There are different questions we need to answer. but. As we've grown as freelancers and consultants, we've been presented with those same questions and answer them over time. How do I send an invoice to somebody? How should I accept payment online? What contract do I use? How do I launch a new service offering? What happens if a client says they're not happy and wants a refund? All different scenarios that we investing in education, through talking with colleagues, through uh, working with coaches, have found solutions to when we move over to the SaaS, the agency, the micro agency, or the educational product space. I think we're presented with a new set of questions, but we could draw on that same skill of discovering what the solution or the answer is to figure out, okay, how do I overcome this hurdle in my business?
1: That's awesome. And I, I'm a big proponent of that too. I mean, I think that's one of the fun parts, actually. Maybe not for a lot of people, but actually, I like doing new stuff. And I realized mm-hmm. that one of the things that kind of drags me down, and this is talk about a you know a double edged sword or something that's like probably not not great to to have this aspect of me. But it's like as soon as I master something, I'm kind of like let's move on to the next thing. But then it's mm-hmm. like if I just built a business around this or a freelance business or whatever, it's like well maybe I don't want to move on from that because I've gotten it down. And sure, it might not be as exciting because I'm not learning so much in that. Particular area of what I'm ever up doing. I think it, it lends itself to the shiny object syndrome, which of course is dangerous.
2: Right. What, <laughs> yeah, what? I don't
1: know what to do about it, man. <laughs> I don't know what people can do about it. What are your thoughts?
2: Oh, it's a it's a great question. It's something that a lot of my coaching students ask me about, like how do I how do I combat shiny object syndrome? What do I do when I want to move on to something else? And one question that recently came up, somebody in my newsletter wrote in and asked me about this: How do I know when it's enough? How do I know when I could stop focusing on growth? And I think that really is one of the core questions. And you could reach a point where you know you're good enough at a skill, you're acquiring clients, you have a pipeline, and you're like, well, I'm doing the thing. The thing's paying money. I'm happy enough, but I'm kind of bored. Should I switch here? And what I've started advocating and what I personally believe is If you enjoy the work enough, well, you don't necessarily need to change the work. Maybe this is just some part of your brain, some part of your inner being saying, you need a different hobby. You you want some new stimulation here. Well, it doesn't mean we need to necessarily reset the business or grow in a new direction or choose a new positioning. Maybe we pick up paddleboarding. Maybe we pick up whitewater rafting. Maybe we pick up hiking. Maybe we pick up an instrument. Maybe we say, okay, I'm feeling this hunger in me for continued personal and professional development. How can I scratch that itch? Maybe it isn't change the business, but it's pick up a new hobby, launch a side hustle, do something for fun. I have a friend who decided uh, uh, he runs a development agency and he was bored and said, I want to do a new project, but I don't want it to be like a capital P project or a capital B business. So he said, Hey, I've always been interested in how people launch a book on Amazon. Let me read a dozen articles about Amazon launch strategies. Let me launch a book on Amazon. Let me see if I could get to number one in my category. And for him, it was a three month long fun project that he got to do on the side, and it really scratched that itch for him. He didn't necessarily come out of it with a number one ranking book or tens of thousands of dollars, but he came out of it with the satisfaction and joy of saying, oh, I learned how to do a new thing. Meanwhile, his agency was running along in the background. He was making money. He was serving his clients, but he was able to scratch that inner itch of, well, I want to learn something new. I want to express myself creatively through business or through a project. What should I be doing, and I like steering people in the direction of well, it could be self improvement or personal development or professional development, but it doesn't need to alter the business as is. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, no, I mean I'm with you a hundred percent I mean I think it's actually a keen insight, so I'm just curious because yeah i I think i I've actually also had calls with you know previous clients and both people who i've I've done like service work for and the for launches and things like that. And then also kind of the coaching consulting stuff I'm getting into kind of more recently this year and and seeing that and and seeing it manifest and and seeing people kind of shift directions. And I don't know, it's interesting because I think, I think you're spot on with it. And I think probably one of the things to always, I guess, come back to, and I think you kind of hinted at this is why are you doing what you're doing? And I think Mm -hmm. having a good base for that, that can kind of be the guiding light there. So you don't kind of spin off this planet, trying to do a, every next new thing because then then you just kind of start from scratch again, not completely from scratch because you built up a great skill set. But when you mm-hmm. shift too much, I think that's one of the bigger challenges too. And so it's like instead of like graduating, people are just like you know going sideways instead is what I kind of see it manifest as. And I know I say that because I have that tendency, and I like have to mm-hmm. shut it down to not do that, but to say, hey, no, mastery is good. Can I become the expert in this practice and get to that next mm-hmm. level? What are what are those areas? That I can learn, and that's a different thing because I I think that's harder type of learning. That's a deeper type of learning. It's not as fun learning, you know. Mm -hmm. I guess it's like the difference between like I don't know, listening to a lecture on YouTube and you know, getting your PhD and writing like a fifty-page thesis or something like that. I have not done the latter. It doesn't seem (laughs) appealing to me at all. I don't know. Maybe it is, but I guess it's that level of depth that you take your particular skill set, and then you I guess you could find infinite ways to to
2: become a master at it. Right. Exactly. I mean, I think you could go deep on the skill set like that. And I also think you could go sort of keep the skill set as is. Like, let's say you're a solid B, an 80% of a developer. You do good work or whatever skill set we want to pick on you do good work your clients are happy more often than not make good money and you're searching for that next thing or what should i be doing you you have this like inner wanderlust this uh uh, i can't remember the word for it i think it's sonia the the desire to be doing something other than what you're doing or this like wish that wish that you were living another life and i've experienced that numerous times in my life like oh gosh like you know i've been doing this business for a year and a half or two years for three years what's next what should i be doing next and In the last year, by channeling a lot of that anticipatory energy or that want into smaller projects and personal projects, I found I no longer feel that what am I doing in my business space, but instead I'm able to apply it in different areas. Uh, I go to festivals with friends and I'm working on building a camp. A couple months ago, I started playing Hearthstone Online, a uh, collectible card game that's digital. And I was like, hey, can I get to, you know, the top 10% in the world within a month? And I finished uh, the most recent season, I think, in the top 7%. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Let's see if next season I could get to 5%. And I'm just able to play around with it on my phone and have fun with it. And uh, same with playing jazz piano as a hobby. I started playing when I was eight years old. I took about six years off and just recently restarted playing again. But it again becomes another way I could focus my time and attention on something that might not be business related, but lets me feel like, ooh, I'm practicing something new. I'm not stuck in the same thing all the Mm. time. And so I think like hobby diversification is something that's often not talked about in the business space at all. but If we aren't spending our time outside of business doing things other than business, we're going to get burnt out. And that's going to translate to, oh my God, it's been a year and a half. I've been putting 80 hours a week into this business. I'm done with it. Well, then we start seeing, I think, this churn or this cycling or this suddenly moving sideways. But if you find those hobbies, you might not have that same draw. Not to say you won't, but I think it channels some of that energy in a different direction.
1: So that's, that's interesting because that's, I think, an interesting kind of point to make. And it was actually kind of one of the things you just mentioned about that idea of like working for so long and that being kind of leading to burnout to some degree, Mm -hmm. among other things. Okay, so here's a question. We talk about graduating freelancing. I think we covered some of these, and which is an interesting concept of looking at these different business models and what's the right, right way to go. Here's another question though, too, with that person who is like at that level, okay, we're I'm doing well, I'm successful as a freelancer. Maybe I'm gonna dip into education, maybe I'm gonna try to grow a, an agency or even just maybe, you know, microagency or something like that. Maybe I will start testing out SaaS. Do you find that one of those three is a requirement to kind of build something that actually prepares you for, I guess, quote unquote, retirement? Because here's here's a new challenge, right? That it's this, everybody who's on the in this online space, it's like, you know, it, the, you, have you read The E-Myth? Yes, yes. Yeah, so, okay, so, and even if you haven't, conceptually, it's it's just the premise of the book is you should build something that you can eventually sell. And I'm really—I I know I personally haven't done that at all, and I still feel like I'm doing pretty darn good. But it's in the back of my mind. I'm like, well, interesting. Like, am I just wasting time by not doing mm-hmm. that? And, and as a freelancer, it's not like you can really sell your freelancing company or whatever you call it. Like, you can't do that, right? So I'm just right. curious. Like, even if you get to the point where you're doing okay as a freelancer, is it obligatory for you to get to that next level if you want to get beyond just having like a day job?
2: I don't necessarily think it is. I mean. I would very much like to say it is, but the honest truth that I feel inside of me is it is not necessary. And I think part, uh, it's been a few years since I've read the e-myth, so I'm digging back in my memory banks here. But I think part of that urge is, well, we want to develop this to sell and have a cash event. And hey, I sold the business I spent 10, 20, 30 years of my life building, and I got this big pile of cash do you need to do that? Not necessarily. I mean, are you maxing out your IRA? Are you maxing out your 401k? Are you saving intelligently? If you're looking to sort of retire from freelancing in that sense, I don't know if it necessarily needs to be in the e style of, hey, I've built this business up and now I'm going to sell it. It could be, oh, you know what? The sexy, fun thing I've done for the last 20 years maxed out my, uh, allowable limit for my retirement accounts and so now I could retire early and I've got this big next nest egg of cash that I saved. So I think that could be another path sort of as an exit and if you're fortunate enough to have built yourself a job you enjoy doing that's a career where you're independent, where you're able to uh set your own hours, change direction if you want to, spin up new offerings if you want and then 30 or 40 years later say you know what, I've saved a lot of money, I'm going to retire now that kind of seems pretty dang good. That seems better than a lot of the options on the market right now in terms of jobs. It really does, doesn't it?
1: I mean, I guess Mm -hmm. you could almost say that the e-myth is a myth in that regard. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) zing. So yeah, that's interesting because I've thought about that too. And it's like, it doesn't, again, it doesn't feel wrong. Like I, but I do wonder, you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? So so how, how much is just the blind leading the blind, so to speak, versus, you know, this is an okay decision, it's great. It's actually good. It can be a good route, good path. And I think that last point is a good point of clarification. It's like, what difference would there be between that and, and essentially being an employee for a company anyway? Uh, mm-hmm. It's not like you're necessarily more secure in the, the company
0: as no. an employee
1: as you are as a freelancer. And I think I think it seems like you take the weight of the world on your shoulders as a freelancer or consultant a lot because you're you know leading the charge, so to speak. And so I mm-hmm. guess that can be kind of maybe more emotionally exhausting or draining and maybe lead to this feeling that things aren't as, as solid foundationally as they really are. Because if you've built up maybe any kind of track record, like I can't, it's crazy how many people still inquire, like e- email me. It's because of a referral or because of work they saw me do. And it's crazy how much this is compounded to the point where, man, I haven't spent a dollar on advertising, not a dollar. I mean, it's mm-hmm. pure referral and it's like, yeah, I guess that's not something you can like, you <laughs> replicate, quote unquote, right? But if it keeps coming, then it's it's actually probably foundationally really solid, more solid than it might might even seem. Now I don't rest on my laurels because of that, but but I think a lot of uh, freelancers can probably find themselves in that position. I don't know if you have any thought last thoughts on that.
2: I think you're correct. I think that over time, if you're able to build up sort of a referral system or these inbound channels around your business, it gives you greater strength or flexibility, but uh, I mean, I really don't have that much to add to it. Uh, uh, jumping back a thread to uh, sort of the the idea of retirement, I think there was a quote from an early Tropical MBA episode I listened to. This was way, way, way back when I just was getting started as an independent business owner. And they were talking about how like people aspire to these sexy things like, oh, I bought the car, I bought the Tesla, I got this beautiful house. And I can't remember which one of the hosts on Tropical MBA said it, but one of them said something like, you know what the big sexy thing in my life is right now? maxing out my retirement accounts getting to that point and like and that's just stuck with me so long like like i drive a honda accord i love my honda accord i've had my honda accord since 2009 and i'm planning to have it for a number of years in the future god willing i don't accidentally destroy it but because like i don't see myself needing to like compete in status by buying the car or buying the house instead i could say well i'm going to up what i'm saving and build a more durable business that way build a more sustainable business that way and plan for my future and plan for my retirement and i think in a way that's kind of sexier and more exciting as a next level of freelancing than anything else
1: man that's underrated comment because i think it's so important because it's like the, the stuff that works for marketing like that's attractive that gets people's attention like probably won't attract a lot of attention like Here's how I'm incrementally saving each day. But, right. but like, that's not going to grab people and be like, I need to do what he's doing because he's incrementally saving. But it's so true and it's fun. It's really cool to be able to kind of build something like that and, and realize mm-hmm. yeah, you don't really need the flamboyant things. There's a lot of, uh, yeah. man, I'm kind of a nerd that way though too because that's exactly how I feel. That's kind of how I live. I'd rather inv- reinvest the money into different things and into new investments or savings than yep. like, buy things. So I totally get that. Well, Kai, we've we, we've hit the top of the hour. I think I've, I've taken up more more of your time than I, I meant to. I love the conversation today. I think it's it's great food for thought for those who are in the position of the freelancing consulting and say, well, what what next? What happens next when I graduate this this level of freelancing? Where can I go? And this idea of kind of looking at these different business models and, and kind of being maybe smart about that choice moving forward versus just kind of stumbling into something maybe you, you didn't mean to. So highly useful information. Appreciate your conversation with us today. Where can people reach out to find you?
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. And uh, if any of the listeners want to learn a little more about me, the best way is to sign up for my daily email newsletter at KaiDavis.com. That's K-A-I-D-A-V-I-S.com. I send out a daily email about how to get more clients, about spending more on marketing for freelancers and consultants and uh, uh People are loving the daily emails. I love writing them. Uh, That's probably the best spot to read more about me. You could also read my articles that I syndicate to my site at kydavis.com, and I link to both of my podcasts at kydavis.com forward slash podcast. Fantastic, Kai. Thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. Hey, thank you so much for having me, and thank you to all the listeners who tuned in. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorkis.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.